Welcome to Club Sandwich, where the music is great and the stories are real. Each week, we talk about life in the middle, the middle of raising kids, nurturing careers, and navigating the ever-changing needs of our aging parents. I'm Jennifer Owens. I serve as Editorial Director at Firstly, the first financial wellness platform designed specifically for the sandwich generation. I'm also the mother of two, wife of one, and daughter and stepdaughter of my children's grandparents. I know firsthand how complex family life can be and how it can change in an instant. I also know how hard it can be to prepare for the future, especially one that impacts our kids, our parents, let alone ourselves. Our guest today knows this too. Victoria Rowan, thank you so much for sharing your sandwich story with us today. Thank you, glad to be here. So you are a communications consultant and you've been writing quite the story for yourself in terms of uh, real estate, divesting of generations of belongings and land and whatnot. And so <laughs> I want to dive right in because I don't know if I've ever met someone who's had to sell five homes back to back. Can you tell us about this? <laughs> sure. So my father passed away about four years ago and my parents had an apartment. They had a weekend home. My mother also was part owner through her own family, you know, her childhood yeah. family of a little compound up in Maine. And then I had my own apartment in New York, which was practically, I mean, I really bought it many times over, although I was renting. And then my partner decided that with COVID for a variety of reasons, it was best to sell his home. Yeah. Does it ever get any easier? Can we talk about that? <laughs> like when the when the third and fourth moments came of something you had to divest, were you like, well, I've got this? Or did each bring its own special set of circumstances? <laughs> yeah, it did. I would say with the main situation, it had been the family for 125 odd years. And so you felt a great responsibility for these scrapbooks yeah. and photographs of people that were long dead, but like this is the last chance to, you know, remember them. So right. what do you do with that? And then there were also some weird and eccentric and in some cases valuable things that were treasures and you don't know where to take them. I don't know. In our family, there yeah. was a sense of responsibility and appreciation of beauty. And so a lot of people just say, oh, just, you know, donate it all. And arguably that would have been something to do. And then maybe those things would end up in like, I don't know, Antiques Roadshow someday, somebody's treat. Right. But <laughs> I can't believe they gave this away. You know, yeah. But there yes. was also the situation legitimately where there were, my mother was one of five children that was part of the estate. So it was not only like a responsibility to these things that no, that all five people passed on it, but still like it was their property. So if you gave it away unwittingly, not realizing that it was super valuable, even though we all thought it was ugly, that would have <laughs> been a problem. So, you know, you have right. to deal with experts. And then this whole industry is a, I mean, you know, used car salesmen have a reputation. Well, antiques dealers and auction house people, um, they might have, you know, fancy accents and degrees, but honestly, it's all subjective. There's no regulation to all this, right? Well, and it's emotional too, because they're, the, and, and yeah. you know, because everything is, boy, you're the one making the call on all this stuff. You know, you have siblings yeah. and, and partner and, and kids, your partner's kids and all that, you know, there are other voices, but you know, you're the one sitting here looking at this and making a judgment call. Yeah. Um, and like one expert who's got, you know, fancy suffixes to their name thinks something's worth a hundred X of what somebody else said was worth one X. And then right. you're, you're not in this business. And so you're like, oh, you have to cross check this stuff because you don't want. Anyway, so there's that sense of responsibility. Although I will say I have a real, real fondness for 
clear plastic tubs and clear garbage bags. Those are like my ultimate moving hacks. <laughs> Is that right? I'm the queen of organizing things. And then I can't remember why, what the philosophy was that day for why I organized things some way. I could see how clear could be a real help. <laughs> yeah. And I'm also a really big fan of hiring people to help you with some moving like targeted. So then people have to rally for that. And I also think it's smart to have outside deadlines. Like the auction people are coming on this day. Everybody has to get their opinions in or what they want, what they don't right. want, blah, blah, blah. Now. <laughs> Or by those dates. Those also helped. And dumpsters also helped. Um, <laughs> we um, had a modest home. And even after all three of the children took all our sentimental and favorite things, carloads, even truckloads of stuff out of the house in Connecticut, we had three dumpsters worth of stuff. Now, don't you estimate that you it's 240 years of accumulation? Yeah, approximately. Number, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, why, why, how does that happen? <laughs> well, the main one gave me the biggest number in that. Right. And then my parents' apartment they got in 1972-ish, and then the house in Connecticut in 1976-ish, and then ah. I got my apartment in New York 17 years ago, and then my partner right. got his house about four or five years ago. So all of that bundled up. Yes, it's concurrent at 240 years. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. See, yeah. I was thinking like, oh my goodness, she's like dealing with these like farm homes from like, you know, the 1600s. <laughs> Something's going on. Here, this is like Salem witch trial stuff or something. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> but still. And then you made care packages, which I thought very lovely. <laughs> but tell us about the care packages. I love that. My boyfriend has a arguably admirable, but it makes us argue um, about <laughs> he he moved constantly as a kid. His dad was in the military. His mom followed his dad around. Anyway, so he like moved practically every year of his childhood. And he has very few sentimental belongings and is not sentimental about stuff. He's like been trained. Yeah. In my case, my family on both sides of the family bought properties, hunkered down, stayed put. That's what they yeah. did. Filled up their basements and their attics and their drawers and their closets. <laughs> So, you know, in terms of the care packages, there was a lot to pick from and there was a lot that was being given away. And especially in COVID when, you know, a lot of the goodwill people and stuff that would have taken things normally quite happily just couldn't because mm. they, you know, they weren't driving, they yeah. weren't picking things up. So I saved certain things for all these family and friends that were very weird or specific to them. Being a former journalist, I think I do listen to people and think about yeah. what they would like, et cetera. And I just wrapped them all like Christmas presents, even though it wasn't Christmas. <laughs> and, and my mother also had in her dementia, poignantly had, I found so many stashes of Christmas presents and Christmas wrapping paper. I had so much wrapping paper for Christmas or holiday. So funny. I did not have to buy any and would just use it up. And I would send notes. My mother also loved stationery and she was an art historian and would buy dozens of postcards every time she went to a museum, even before she had dementia. So I have all these wonderful cards. So that's what I would do. And I sent them off. And the feedback I got was really heartwarming and a connection, especially when we couldn't see each other much of the yeah. last year. You know, we all know that stuff doesn't matter. And yet it does matter <laughs> when it's enwrapped in meaning. I mean, most of the stuff I sent wasn't valuable, but it was meaningful. And it was chosen for them, which is yes. so lovely. Yes. Now, for our dear listener, how many care packages did you send, though? I think I sent around 50. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> they, 
But I could send maybe one to my brother and my mother or something, but to do 50 of them, that's a lot of emotional baggage, <laughs> literally wrapping up and putting it in the mail. So, thing. <laughs> well, and so what's happening with your mom now, this chapter of your mom's life? Yeah, it's very um, emotionally complicated for myself and my brothers. Over COVID, we scooped her up. She had been living in her home relatively independently, but with people living in with her. After my father died, we knew she wasn't capable of living safely alone. We made arrangements. We started running basically an Alzheimer's clinic for one. My mother is a tough customer, though, in the sense that she's very lovely and polite and charming and gracious, but she is very articulate and her need to be in the moment makes her, you know, it needs constant mental stimulation and constant reassurance because her short term memory is now shot. So mm. during COVID, we couldn't get help for her to come in on public transportation. Really? We couldn't get screening. The agencies didn't have, you know, swab tests in the early days of, you know, March 2020. Yeah. And friends of mine in California were saying, yeah, they're, you know, police manning the streets and the bridges are closed and towns are isolating. And I didn't know if I went upstate with my partner and our family if I would be able to get to my mother or my mother would be alone or my mother would be yeah. shopping on her own and getting COVID in the supermarket, whatever. So I scooped her up and brought her upstate with me. And I just realized how much her, I've been spending time with my mother and even sometimes took her on weekends to do some trips to see friends. But the day in, day out that I became, you know, I had to do made it clear of how stressful it was to be a single person with her all day long because there's just no break and it's unrelenting and she's so she's still so bright underneath the dementia and she doesn't just want somebody who's sitting I mean a lot of people who are called to do this work are extraordinary people I would say to a one but mm -hmm. a lot of them choose this work because they're minding small babies or they're minding people who are bedridden and they are they like life to be quiet and they like to read their bible and they like to be meditational. And my mother is not a meditative, serene person right now. The dementia has made her more anxious, more talkative, craving more engagement. So it was very hard to find people. She was burning people out. Wow. Not through being unpleasant or, yeah. you know, there are a lot of people with dementia who are abusive, whatever, but that was difficult. It's so just that, constant, just yeah. constant energy. Yeah. So fast forward to this long answer to your question that when she broke her hip and she had to get medical care, we were kind of shocked at how much relief we experienced because she was wow. finally getting, you know, I mean, a hor horrible that it happened to her, of course. But what I'm getting at is that, oh, the professionals are in charge. They're in charge of yep. staffing. If you have a rotation of single people coming in and they can have shifts and stay with their energy level. Yeah. Yeah. But they also legitimately get sick or they legitimately can't come in. Then myself or my two brothers has to rearrange our lives to be with my mother for the day. And I was typically closest at the time. And that was really also challenging, just never knowing when my whole day might be hijacked to take care of my mom. Even after her recovery and we tried out some assisted living, she really needed to be in a memory care unit. And she really needed to also reduce the number of places and belongings that she had because she understood that these were temporary care people and they we weren't retaining them for long. And they were getting better jobs or they were leaving or, you know, they couldn't handle my mom or they couldn't handle yeah. her level of exercise because she liked to walk like miles and miles a day. So the way she would hide things in this very large apartment that used to have five people in it 
was also making things really difficult for everybody. So having too many belongings when you have dementia is really a problem. I mean, even in her current situation, it's one bedroom with one wardrobe and one desk and one bathroom. She loses things or hides things. And it's like we can't find her iPad sometimes to do FaceTime. So this is the cruelty of the disease. I'm not criticizing her. She doesn't know what she's doing. Right. It's just that that's that. And it's not even a loss. It's it's a hiding. You know, it's an act of losing. (laughs) Yes. That's impressive. Yeah. I remember when my grandmother was in, you know, one of those stepped up facilities at the end, her anxiety, she would make a break for it. Like she escaped. Mm. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, because I was the, you know, the generation above me was, you know, much more hands on with my grandmother. I thought that was awesome. Like she's feisty and like, look at that. She just won't let anyone hold her down. Now I realize, well, she was terrified. And, you know, (laughs) and then how she terrified the people at the facility as she, you know, she hid herself. She busted loose. (gasps) Wow. Tiny little part of me still thinks that's kind of. Well, I think my mother must have read prison memoirs or something because my mother would like hide things like inside the inner sole, inside a shoe, inside a shoe box, inside like a a back drawer of a closet. Like it took some work. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. (laughs) Yeah. I get the stress and all that, but part of just a little dark part of me is like, oh, Oh, total admiration. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you you can hold both at the same time. Absolutely. But if that's your house keys or if that's something that she really wants, like her glasses, yeah, um, then you're out of luck and, and you're stepping on them. <laughs> or a granola bar, you know, it's just, like, right. it'd be really weird what she would attach value to and yeah, and hard to predict. What did you get handed when, you know, your dad had passed and your mom was kind of on the decline? Like, did they have their papers in order? Did they have, I mean, the houses weren't emptied. I, like, what did you inherit at that point? Yeah, my my mother used to be hyper-organized. Now, unfortunately. For her generation, that meant just reams and reams and reams and reams of files. And she'd never heard (laughs) of a paper shredder. Yeah. So all of that, once upon a time, was very well organized. And you can still see the vestiges of that. Unfortunately, like the most relevant last 10 years, which is the period of her decline, everything was just crazy town. And my dad had continued to work for a variety of reasons. I think he just, you know. It was uncomfortable. It was more comfortable for him to work and to become a full-time caregiver to my mother and her dementia. Mm. So I, I think that's the most elegant way of putting it. And from what I understand, like he was making his accountant crazy because my mother had been the bookkeeper, but I don't think they'd really officially retained a bookkeeper. We had to retroactively catch up on those kinds of things. We had to extract my mother because my mother still just puts herself together, puts on the appropriate matching scarf and all that. But like extricating her from the co-op board meetings without humiliating her. Wow. Things like that. She still was retaining responsibilities. Now, that one's a low-key one. I mean, she wasn't running for office or anything. We leave that to the real lunatics to do. But (laughs) (laughs) But... (laughs) that is some New York City jokes right there, my friends. (laughs) Um, But um, those were the challenging things. And also my dad... He really was a brilliant, brilliant periodontist. That was his calling and that was his expertise. Like literally, I remember we tried to do some family discussions about finances. My brother is in the financial world and Mm -hmm. was anxious about this and wanted to get things in order and made tons of excellent suggestions, none of which my parents could do because my dad was still working and my mom just had 
you know, was finessing, but really we all knew didn't have the executive function to deal with these things anymore. Yeah. So yep. one thing I will pass out there, if you guys haven't already talked about it, one of your podcasts that's pretty amazing is that state by state, there are unclaimed fund, um, you yep. know, by name. You know, my brother being on top of this, like found, you know, like, like my father never had like, oh, all my life insurance policies from my various you know, associations and alumni, whatever. He's. T- he, it seems like he never met a life insurance policy he didn't like. So, <laughs> and some of these were meaningful. I mean, like meaningful sums. And given, you know, the kind of care we want to provide for my mom as long as we can, it's expensive. Right. My brother found like a very large policy <laughs> thanks to looking that up. Yeah. That you had no idea. Wow. No idea. No idea. No idea. And I think there's still ones for my grandparents, but I'm not the executor of my grandparents' estate out there. And those are harder to get. But bottom line yeah. is they're out there for everybody more likely than not. If you ever even moved from one town to another, like you, for instance, you know, your, your cable setup, you maybe do a refund. It might be even a few hundred dollars. You know, it's probably there waiting for you if you didn't forward your mail, for example. And, yeah. then if, and then if, you know, you have a life insurance policy that nobody knows about, and nobody knows where it's getting mailed to, well then, yeah, you might be six figures or more. <laughs> Now, we had the opposite experience with my mm-hmm. mother-in-law passing that she had an annuity and it kept paying us 200 bucks a month. And we didn't know where this money was. We didn't know why someone was mailing <laughs> us to it. And it took a whole lot of detective work to try to figure it out. And they shouldn't have been paying. And actually now, since uh, my husband is the executor for his mom's estate, we have to pay that money back. But it was the opposite, where it was like, why are you sending us money? Because no matter how buttoned up, you're still going to find there's a whole bunch of stuff that no one knows exists. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, with more and more things going digital, if you don't know the passwords and stuff to your parents' email, I can only imagine what the next generation is going to be dealing with or not able to deal with or not benefit from, which is the most tragic part. Because, you know, on top of all the emotional trauma of dealing with these transitions, Money always helps. <laughs> right. And I would hate for a lot of people to miss out on this because they just don't know what their parents did because nobody had these discussions. That is the conversation I have with my mom all the time is that it's not about probate. It's not about, you know, after you're gone. It's this moment that we're talking about with your mom of like a moment where you need care. And I want you to have the care that you worked so hard to have. I want this chapter to be the chapter written the way you want it written. I get a lot of nodding and I don't get a lot, you know, I I don't know. And compliance is not forthcoming. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. When's a good time to talk about my death? Let's make an appointment. And you know, it's like that cartoon. Never is never good for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's perfect. I can, I can fit that in. So, well, I mean, is there a lesson? So you have two grown stepkids and I'm fascinated by those of us who are going through these things with our parents. What does it make you think about like for them, like with getting your stuff in order? You're in the middle of divesting everything. I'm still wrapping it up, but my goal is God living. I live long enough for myself, but yes, I am getting my own affairs in order and want there to be like, I don't know, inside a safe deposit box. Like here's everything. Yeah. Here it all is. Yeah. Yeah. The only trouble is that I I think uh, with these passwords, I've been doing the, you know, suggested safe passwords, which is gobbledygook. And I, I know it's safer, but it's better than the one password. I And it's not password, by the way, but it's it could, might as well be. And I think we all need password managers, I think is wh- what I'm getting at, that we need a <laughs> password yeah. to the password manager. 
because yeah. yeah as we get better with these logins our kids are not going to be able to get into any We're i know if they don't have anything. a pupil or fingerprint well, yeah, yeah it's difficult it's really difficult yes do you see a new chapter for yourself without as many homes? <laughs> yes. Um, and this is the other curveball. After my brothers and I emptied out the house in Connecticut, we intended to sell it. We tried to sell it for two years and it didn't work out. And so my partner and I decided to take it on because my brothers had second homes and other things that were yeah already yeah bigger priorities. And this will be the first time that my boyfriend and I will have a home that we have like from the first day, we both will move in together once it's finished. So we're wow. excited to do that and to synthesize and divest ourselves of a lot of stuff. We both have put into storage that he's gotten from his family and I've gotten from my family. I have more than he has. Wait, that is so shocking to hear that, that you have more stuff. Than you have. <laughs> I'm shocked after this yeah. conversation. That is shocking. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wow. Well, that is very exciting. So I grew up uh, much like your boyfriend, but uh, not with a military family, but with a mom that would toss things if you ever set anything down. <laughs> like, so what do you think? Will you be living one of those minimalist lives where like the furniture doesn't even have knobs or anything on it? <laughs> I actually stylistically like that. But, but uh, what we agreed on is that all common spaces would be decorated to both of our mutual satisfaction. And that both of us would have our own, like, basically office suites yeah. where we could decorate as we like. So, like, for instance, he doesn't have libraries. Like, my parents, like, had a whole room that was, you know, instead of another bedroom yep. for the kids, they had a library, you know? I think that we're always going to have, I'm going to have more sentimental value to certain things. We'll also squabble about this, but I think that um, <laughs> I my, my parents collected more interesting things than he got, than he oh. liked. <laughs> We'll have him on next to discuss it. We'll do point <laughs> counterpoint on the blogging. The good news is that we actually do agree about the style that we do want now. Oh, and that's great. It's funny, like we were both anxious about it. It's like, oh, well, are we going to argue about this? And surprisingly, like, oh, yeah, we both like those doorknobs. Perfect. Boom. Done. Oh, that's, <laughs> so that's awesome. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think part of that previous static, you know, you kind of realize too that when it's from before, no matter whose side, like there are associations that the other person can't possibly right. have. Can't know. Can't know the depth of it. Yep. Well, I do. I wish you very well on this new chapter. You know, you've got done a lot of work to get to this point. So this is awesome. You can almost feel the page turning and this is wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for being on Club Sandwich. I am so glad, Victoria, that you joined us in the club. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Are you living life in the middle? Share your story at editors at firstly.com. Please take a moment to rate and review our podcast. It really helps us grow. And of course, if you could use a little extra financial wellness help, visit firstly.com, created specifically with the sandwich generation in mind. And let me know what you think. And until then, we'll see you each week in the club club sandwich. <laughs>